they're going to arrest me and charge me with conspiracy to kill President Kennedy. <laughs> I don't think this is particularly funny. Oh, he's always been goofy. Oh, but this takes the cake. <laughs> the play is The Guilty Parties of New Orleans, and that's Clay Shaw with his lawyer, Irvin Diamond. It's a play written by Jeremiah Miller in partnership with researcher David Reitzes, and it will be given a staged reading with seasoned actors this coming Friday night, April 28th, at Community Mennonite Church as part of Theater of the Seventh Sister Spoken Word Series. The play largely deals with the trial of Clay Laverne Shaw, a New Orleans businessman who was the only person ever officially prosecuted in connection with the 1963 assassination of John F. Kennedy. Now here's my first piece of advice. Take the polygraph. I reject that advice. Why? Because I I won't give him the satisfaction. There's no time for pride. Look, this is ridiculous. I won't be subjected to this. There's no basis for their accusations. Then take the test. I won't do it. Mr. Shaw. Please. I think we should cooperate with the district attorney. We both know you're innocent. I'm on nerves now. I, I, I'll fail. I doubt that. I won't do it. What's next? What's wrong? They asked me if I was gay. Oh, this is absolutely humiliating. They asked me about other secrets. The kind I've been ordered to keep. They, they recruited me after the war, like, like a lot of other young men. Hell, Garrison went to work for the FBI for a couple of years. We were prime candidates for intelligence work. I traveled regularly on behalf of the trademark, and while I was at it, I, I could provide the agency with, a, with an extra pair of eyes and ears in Latin America. I felt it was something I could do for my country. My career has been slightly less exciting than planning coup d'etats. And, and if I were Machiavellian enough to believe my government was behind such a thing, that I'd renounce my citizenship. I had nothing, nothing to do with the murder of President Kennedy. Though Shaw publicly protests his innocence and privately decries the humiliation he suffered, it's clear that something about his persona, in part his homosexuality, triggers the interest of District Attorney Jim Garrison, who's the play's protagonist. Garrison, of course, is famously depicted by Kevin Costner in Oliver Stone's vibrant 1991 film, JFK. This play concerns itself less with the conspiracy theory regarding the assassination and more with the personalities of Sean Garrison and the drama evoked as the two square off in connection with the trial, which took place in 1967. In playwright Miller's mind, Garrison's case has flaws, as does his character. Still, to Miller, Garrison speaks for something much more than the proof of a conspiracy theory. He speaks for the pursuit of truth. Mr. Garrison, who killed JFK? And, and why did they do it? First of all, the Warren Commission missed the whole story. You have to keep firmly in mind that the Kennedy assassination was like Alice in Wonderland. Black was white, white was black.
my name is Jeremiah Miller. I am the playwright of Guilty Parties of New Orleans. It's a play I've been working on for a long time. It's about the prosecution of Clay Shaw in New Orleans, Louisiana, for his alleged participation in a conspiracy with Lee Harvey Oswald to assassinate John F. Kennedy. It's about Jim Garrison's investigation of Clay Shaw, which culminated in the only trial ever brought against an, any individual for the Kennedy assassination. Um, I had grown up watching uh, the film JFK by Oliver Stone and was captivated by the assassination, as most people were who saw that film. And I had a lot of assumptions about the assassination. I think that film has shaped the perception that most people from my generation have of the assassination. And I just, uh, about a decade ago, I was watching another television special that had to do with the Kennedy assassination. And it called a lot of those assumptions into question. And there was a piece in that documentary about the Jim Garrison investigation. And I found the characters that I saw in that piece about the Jim Garrison investigation to be much more interesting than the characters in JFK. And I just thought, I'm surprised that this angle of the story hasn't been captured before in a dramatic way. So I started writing this play, and I feel like it wrestles with a number of antagonisms, I would say, that are part of American and human life. One of those is um, faith versus superstition, um, the public versus the private, and um, basically what the meaning of truth is. Um, and Theater of the Seven Sisters, Spoken Word Weekend, this time around, it's an annual thing, the theme of it is truth. And so I thought this was a nice play to fit into that weekend of theater. People of a certain generation, maybe it's fading now, I don't know. Um, I, I gather we're sort of, you know, if, if we both sort of grew up watching JFK, because I did too, we're, this has sort of affected us. But why is this... Um, such a an addictive, obsessive topic for Americans. It's been well over 50 years. Um, we've had presidents get killed before. Shouldn't we say to us, get, get past it mm-hmm. kind of thing? Like, why is this something that just won't go away? I think that when someone like President Kennedy, um, someone who is seen as a progressive leader, and again, there's been revisionist takes on what type of leader he actually was, but he certainly, to me, was a leader that epitomized service and getting involved in your democracy, you know, and that may or may not be the way it actually was. That's my perception, having heard over and over again his inaugural address when he said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And I think when someone like that, who's a young leader, um, who is, you know, invigorating to people, when someone like that is cut down, um, it's really kind of an improper burial, so to speak. I I think it's really interesting that one of the first human rituals was the burial of the dead. You know, that's the first sign that we have of human beings using symbols or having some type of religion is the burial of, of the dead. Um, And so it's very important to human beings that um, things come to a kind of proper ending. And for John F. Kennedy, um, things, you know, took a very dramatic detour on November 22nd, 1963, um, when he was 
assassinated in, in Dealey Plaza. And I think that when kings, so to speak, are killed, there's a kind of high court intrigue that people ascribe to it. I also think that the circumstances of that weekend were extremely maddening for the public perception of what happened because I think that um, there was just so much suspicious activity that happened that weekend. Um, You know, it wasn't just a president getting assassinated. It was the dramatic capture of the suspect in the movie theater. Um, It was that suspect then being murdered on television before he could give his side of the story. So Oswald, I've heard it said by Norman Mailer, is like a ghost that just hangs over American culture. And the thing that's maddening about ghosts is that they never give us the answer. What if we got it? And let's say somebody opened up the Ark of the Covenant Mm -hmm. and you found out what happened. Would it change things? Would you have the closure? Would we have closure? Would we be better off? Would we finally be able to bury our king? Well, my, my play doesn't deal too much with the, the question of whether or not there was a conspiracy. In a way, I think it's a bit like a religion for people. Again, my play doesn't go into the question of conspiracy. I do believe Oswald acted alone. But if the files were opened up and it was shown to me that there was a conspiracy, I could accept that. And I could accept the fact that my play was maybe a bit incorrect, you know, if, if it showed that Clay Shaw was actually, you know, guilty of something. Um, I, could, I could accept that, and it would be very hard to admit that everything I believed about something was wrong. However, I do believe that if the files were opened up and it was shown that, just as the Warren Commission said, that Oswald was the lone assassin, I think there would be many people who would um, continue to... Uh, be proponents of conspiracy because with conspiracy, conspiracy theorists tend to put a lot of suspicious stories together that don't necessarily add up to any, you know, final claim. Um, it's like lots of pieces of a puzzle that seem to fit together, but they never quite do. My parents were, I guess, you know, 20 and 15 when he was elected. Um, and when he was killed, they were 23 and 18. So um, they have both um, in talking to me about it, described um, the assassination as being, as I said, this moment of loss of innocence, a death in their own family, um, the realization that uh, things were not all roses and and lilies and headed towards some wondrous um, paradise. And then I think things went from bad to worse. And I I, I think this is true of my father, who uh, then went to Vietnam and realized that all that he'd learned or all that had been instilled in him, whether... You know, deliberately or or not, by just the hegemony of an American education uh, in the 50s and 60s, realized it was all a lie. And he's never really recovered. I think for a lot of people, there's a, kind of a fear of the truth and that they, you know, shroud themselves in conspiracies or in some way don't open their eyes to what's really going on mm-hmm. um, and what they're, and what this podcast is actually a lot about is trying to come to terms with the yeah. harsh, horrible reality yeah. and, and in some respects like what our own government right. is doing to foreign people, right. in the case of Vietnam, for example, yeah. or its own people. Yeah. Um, and most people that I grew up with, let's say, don't have 
the stomach for that and mm-hmm. aren't interested in it and, and, and shield themselves and protect themselves. Mm-hmm. And so when you're talking about like conspiracies become like religions, it's because they don't actually want to look beneath and, and recognize the real conspiracies that are there, that your right. government is doing one thing and, and right. telling you something else. What I do respect Oliver Stone's film for is that stories can be true whether the facts in them are correct or not. And I think the ultimate truth that Oliver Stone was trying to get across was the military-industrial complex and the dangers of the military-industrial complex. And so in a way, I feel like JFK is more a a film about the build-up to the Iraq war in a way, you know, that we tell lies, we, we fudge the truth, we use rhetoric to get the American population um, behind these activities that benefit, you know, wealthy military contractors. Um, The other thing I was thinking of when you were speaking is just what I've kind of explored with the antagonism between faith and superstition. I've been seeing superstition um, and conspiracy theory as being very much linked. Um, I think that superstition has been a huge part of American culture. You know, if you look at novels like Huckleberry Finn, for instance, there's all of the characters who are kind of poor and powerless use superstition, you know, to kind of regain a sense of control. Mm. Um, You know, uh, Huckleberry Finn's drunken father, for instance, the character Jim, who's a slave, um, they all kind of resort to superstition in order to, you know, regain a sense of control. Um, and I think that conspiracy theory does something similar. And I think that whenever you're looking for the truth, you know, in a situation, there always has to be an understanding that you're never going to get the full picture. And, you know, we all have to sort of become comfortable with not knowing everything. And conspiracy theory kind of opens a window for saying, no, there is the opportunity to get to the whole truth. You know, the the whole truth is out there, and I think I have it. I I liken it a lot to the the Garden of Eden story. It's, It's God who says, you have to live in mystery. And it's the serpent in the garden that says, no, you can, you can know everything that there is to know. Mm. Um, and so I've kind of been playing with that a little bit um, in the play. Um, the idea that conspiracy theory, in a way, is a kind of modern superstition. Um, I don't know that, that conspiracy theory was that huge a part of our culture before the Kennedy assassination. I think it has to do with access to information. I mm-hmm. think it has to do with television. Mm-hmm. Um, you're putting this play on now. And I think now, like, the proliferation of information has actually reached a point where it's gone back on itself in that we know less and less what's true Mm -hmm. because there's so much out there. Right. And um, so, like, if you're the president of the United States right now and you're tweeting a thousand times a day, it actually doesn't matter what you tweet versus what policies you enact or what countries you bomb. Right. I I think, like, we're in worse shape than ever in that regard. I would say that if my play is political in any way, it's that I do have a kind of naive faith in the establishment. In a democracy, the more that you see the government as being an alien entity that you're not a part of, the more it will become that. And I feel like that's what we're seeing today. A lot of people have, instead of getting involved in the establishment and trying to change the establishment, 
which they're free to do. People have rejected the government as some kind of other, you know, some big other. So what we're seeing now, we are flirting with authoritarianism now. I think that Jim Garrison, the reason why I wanted him to be my protagonist, and he is my protagonist, is that even though I'm calling him out on perhaps being wrong in his investigation, he's still kind of a hero to me because he does make his voice heard in a very um, bombastic way, perhaps, but he gets, you know, he, he rocks the boat. And we can never ignore people like that. It's kind of like, you know, do I agree with Donald Trump? No, I, I don't. But I also can't shut off everything that he says. I have to listen to crazy talk, you know, because it's crazy talk that gets people's attention and it gets people to test their assumptions, you know. So in a way, I see, I see um, you know, Jim Garrison as a kind of First Amendment hero. You know, it's like somebody who denies the Holocaust. I think that's a reprehensible thing to do. But if I hear somebody do that, I might say, well, how do I know that things were the way they were? How do I know, you know, that the stories about the Holocaust were true? And then I have to go back and do my own research, you know? So in a way, there would be no hope for the truth if it wasn't for people who rocked the boat, you know? Even if I'm offended or, or I reject the way they do it or what they're saying, there would be, you know, really no hope for the truth if there weren't people who pulled us out of our comfort zones from time to time. Guilty Parties of New Orleans by Jeremiah Miller will be performed as part of Theater of the Seventh Sisters Spoken Word Weekend this Friday, April 28th at 7.30 p.m. at Community Mennonite Church of Lancaster, 328 West Orange Street. General admission is $15. Students can obtain entry for $10 with a valid identification. Music for this episode of What We Will Abide is by Nick Peterson. I'd also like to thank Jeremiah Miller and the gracious actors who are performing in his play for allowing me a sneak peek into their rehearsal process. You can find older episodes of What We Will Abide at my website, samschindler.com, or on the What We Will Abide Facebook page. As always, I recommend leaving an iTunes review because it helps newer listeners find the show. Thanks for listening.